The Startup to Scale-Up Game Plan is brought to you by Alpina Search, Europe's premier talent search firm, dedicated to helping technology startups and scale-ups recruit high-impact executives. Now over to your host, Gary Riemann. I'm delighted to welcome Sonal Puri to this week's episode of the Startup to Scale-Up Game Plan. Sonal is the CEO of WebScale, and that's actually her fourth uh, B2B SaaS startup. Uh, WebScale are disrupting the multi-billion dollar market for cloud hosting and cloud services with tier one customers, including Puma, Unilever, and Tommy Hilfiger. And on the 14th of May, WebScale announced a 14 million Series B. So, so now congratulations on the funding and a very warm welcome. Thank you so much, Gary. It's a real pleasure being here with you. Likewise. So, so now let's begin with WebScale's value proposition. How are you disrupting the market for cloud automation and cloud services? That's a pretty broad question, but I'll try and sort of explain it out in, in a more simplistic way so everybody on the audience can understand what WebScale does and can leave with a pretty clear message on where we fit in. We fundamentally, from the outside, look like a managed service provider providing services on cloud infrastructure. So if you think of hyperscale cloud providers, the likes of AWS and GCP and Azure and a handful of others, they're providing a whole host of services across the board. But one of the gaps that we see is the skills gap where getting the right people to set up cloud infrastructure for them to make sites just fast and secure and available globally is much harder than it looks from the outside. So the whole point of turning the cloud into a utility still requires a layer of understanding of how everything comes together and and how you can really leverage these assets to sort of deploy out a really high-end website or a site experience or a digital experience, if you want to call it that. And that's where WebScale comes in. So we're a software-defined, very deep technical platform. We have a huge stack of things like machine learning that we do behind the scenes, but the customer base, as we continue to talk to them, doesn't really care anymore about what that technology stack looks like and what goes on into doing things. What they care about is just get it done for me in the most efficient, fastest time to market, most affordable format. And I'm interested in the functionality. I'm interested in the outcome more than I'm interested in the deep tech that you guys have. So that's the world that that we live in. We've simplified our go-to-market for our customers. And and again, I'll reiterate behind the scenes, there's a lot of deep technology, which is why we're Silicon Valley venture-funded technology startup. But we are following the rest of the world and saying, everything needs to be delivered as software as a service, be it infrastructure, be it customer experience, be it all of that. It's just the simplicity of what we do. Nicely summarized, a lot of complexity. You became an advisor to WebScale soon after the company launched. So how, why, and when did you transition to CEO? And how easy was it to make that transition? That's a fun question. Kind of doesn't feel like it was that long ago, even though it's been almost four years now. It's my fourth startup that I've been involved in. And every one of the startups I've ever worked at has this sort of fundamental mode of disruption, taking existing markets, one market, multiple markets, and really disrupting what people do in those markets and how services are delivered for customers. And all four startups have been software as a service for layer four through seven services. So 
as I was leaving my previous startup after almost five and a half years there, looking around and trying to figure out what I was going to do next, I was introduced by one of my investors to WebScale. I was also advising, if you'll see on my profile, I was advising another handful of customers, all in the infrastructure space, all Layer 4 through 7 software as a service. But there was something about WebScale that really was interesting. It was a problem that was probably harder to put your arms around and a little bit more difficult than the other pieces that I was looking at. The other startups were closer to my world that I was coming from, which was more SEVAN and PLS disruption. And as I started working with the team and most importantly, our founder and CTO, Jay, I realized that this is a group that I could work with. It's a group of people that are fun and are trying to do some really interesting things. So the goal was to work with them for some period of time and help them with that product market fit, which is the biggest challenge that most of us face. And as we kept doing that, actually the board member came back to me and and said, the team really likes what you're doing with them and they want you to come on board full-time. So my previous role, my previous startup was CMO and VP of sales. I was like, really? So they want me to run sales and, and marketing for them? And he said, no, they actually want you to run the whole company. Our founder and CTO was the CEO and he actually decided that he loves technology more than he loves operational daily grind. And he was like, I can go back to building cool technology. I would trust you with the company because I think you've got a handle on what we want to do. It was actually a really cool way of becoming a part of a company. That's unusual. You hear of other horror stories where founders are replaced with these professional CEOs and all that stuff. This was nothing like that. This was actually a lot of fun in how it happened. And it's quite rare, actually, for a founding CTO forward slash CEO to have the self-awareness and the humility to want to take on a so-called professional CEO like you to replace themselves. So must have been quite a refreshing situation to have him so open and willing to step back. The two words that you describe, he's actually not in the room, so it's not, you know, you probably hear of this podcast (laughs) at some point, but humble and self-aware and brilliant kind of define our founder and CTO. So that was the reason, you know, I really wanted to work with good people that were level-headed and grounded. And I think Jay is all of that. And of course, our board members and investors are all of that as well. They came to us and said, hey, if you guys do this, we'll put money in and we'll lead the next round. So it kind of made it into a no-brainer. There was no reason to not do any of this. I'm sure Jay's ears are burning now. But (laughs) (laughs) moving on swiftly, you mentioned when we last spoke that you've made some mistakes and learned some really crucial lessons during your time at WebScale. What are some of those key learnings? I think when we last spoke, I was sharing with you my biggest flub as I just joined as as CEO. So I came on board in June or July and obviously summarized the market, looked around, raised around the financing, and then in parallel looked at our services. There was a, a number of companies in the infrastructure space at that point that were being very efficient in their go to market and are still being very efficient. And a couple of those companies are actually large public companies now. And we looked at their product market fit and their go-to-market, and we wanted to find an easier way for our prospects and customers to consume what WebScale did. So at that point, we had about 10 customers, 10 or 12 customers, and we're like, how do we get this game-changing software stack in the hands of as many digital storefronts as, as we can? And we went back to our VP of engineering and we said, 
could you create a zero-touch deployment of what we do? Could you set up a system where without talking to a salesperson, somebody can go online and sign up for our service and turn on traffic and make it faster and secure and, and highly available? And he came back a couple of days later, worked with his team and said, I think I can do it. It'll take me four months and the entire engineering team were like, sure, go for it. So 15th of April, I think about thereabouts, 14th, 15th of April, 2016, we launched our, what we called our free light. So free was basically anybody could turn it up and try it out for fixed amount of packaging. We did a great job of the look and feel and everything worked flawlessly and it followed all the tenets of easy sign up and so on and so forth. And in the first couple of days, we got more than a hundred signups. So we were like, okay, this is going to work. I mean, we don't have to hire an expensive enterprise sales team. We can pretty much sign up people for free and then convert them to light, which was a couple of hundred bucks a month and then convert them to professional. And that's a great way to build our business. Well, a hundred people signed up. And at the end of that week, even though we had the cadence of multiple emails to them and had them do all of those pieces, zero people turn on their traffic. And at the end of that first week, we had, or I had my aha moment of such a critical part of their infrastructure that without talking to a human being and without being convinced that we're not going to break something, no one's going to ever turn on the traffic on this thing. So we quickly went back to the board and said, oops, I just blew up four months of your cash and I apologize, but we'd like to go back and get back into the inside sales, more sort of the feet on the street model. Turned out that it wasn't a a net loss because our product just became that much more simple to use. It became the engineering team didn't have to have as hands-on an experience to turn on every single customer. Our support team was able to provision customers faster. Our CTO went off and built an auto-provisioning system using deployment tools like Chef to deploy these large enterprise customers. So it turned out okay, but it was probably our biggest, my personal biggest failure as this visionary who's supposed to just know it all and you don't. No one knows it all. The dangers of the freemium model. I know, right? Doesn't work for everyone. That's the learning. Freemium works great for something that sits by the side and can look at your logs or give you visibility. But if you're in the data path and you can break things, zero people are going to turn it on. Exactly. Okay. Now, you mentioned earlier on that this is the fourth B2B SaaS startup that you've helped scale. What are the recurring themes you've come across that have helped drive success in each of these businesses? So each one of these businesses was or is very different from each other. So the first one was back in the late 90s. That was a different frothy market. We were looking at more appliances, more data centers, equipment, appliance-based load balancing. The service was more taking people online. Second startup was a CDN. We were the second largest CDN in the world. We were acquired by Akamai. Third startup was Ariaka Networks. They're very successful, probably one of the most successful players in the the network as a service, van optimization, MPLS disruption space. And then WebScale, where we're truly disrupting the entire stack and taking people to the cloud. So the theme that is common for all of them is each one of them was disrupting a layer four through seven service in the way that it's being delivered and and the simplicity. The other commonality I found is it's amazing how much simplicity customers really want and what they're willing to walk away from if they're convinced. Now, the other sort of commonality in terms of just scaling 
each one of them took a while to get to critical mass. And that's the one thing that I've learned as in terms of being patient is if you're the first company in a space doing this disruption, it takes longer. Software as a service in general takes longer to build. So the first three or four years are extremely painful for everybody. It's like watching paint dry. It's convincing customers. It's being frustrated with. When you talk to a customer prospect, you believe that they need your service, but they will not sign up because the risk, the perceived risk, you're too new. You're not familiar. You're not a box they can hug. You're not a network they can touch. It's just one of those things, not a switch or a router. So that's what you start to realize is it takes a while, but these businesses all become really lasting businesses and they outlast most of the other flash in the pan sort of, you know, small bits of software or features. The other commonality that I've noticed is when you're in this disruption, you kind of need to have an end-to-end platform, like a point solution doesn't cut it because customers now have choices of a range of products. So you'll notice last week there was an acquisition in the bot management space and, and actually their CTO of that company that got acquired came out and said, we realized we were a small feature and we were finding it hard to compete in world where others were coming to the table with the entire solution. So it's more like instead of software as a service, it's software as a solution. And you kind of have to bring the whole story together. So that's another theme. On the sales side, I've realized you can't really hire a salesperson. You can't say, this is what my salesperson looks like. You kind of have to grow your own. We have to bring in people that have that raw talent, that have done startups, that understand networking, and then kind of learn and teach them your way of of how you sell the service and learn with them. Compensation plans are hard for these kinds of models because there's no playbook you can steal from. You kind of have to write all yourself. Hmm. There's a bunch of learnings I could go on. I think the session's not long enough to get into every one of them, but you kind of get the theme, right? Exactly. So what are you most proud of from your four to five years at WebScale? That's an interesting question. I haven't thought about it. I can't really pinpoint the one thing, but the thing that gets me the most excited is when I open up our board presentation from 2015 to our board presentation from 2019. We have come a long way. The thing that excites me the most is probably our logo slide. Like when we put up our logo slide to share with our investors, or our team, or at company meetings, just seeing the kind of brands that trust a young startup like WebScale is really exciting because you know it shows that we've got something of value that that people are willing to put their sights and their money behind. What do you know now that you wish you'd known when you started out as a CEO? Besides your learning on the freemium model, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> anything else that you wish you'd known when you started out as a CEO and you damn well know it now? I don't know if I can pinpoint something specifically, but I will tell you, I don't know a lot. In fact, I realize how absolutely clueless I am on any given day. I kid you not, there's so much to know and there's so much that we all learn every day and every person in our world that we talk to, every other CEO we talk to, I'd say the one thing that I'm relieved about is I'm not alone because almost every CEO in this space that is in the infrastructure world that's building this, call it, you know, non-sexy stack is dealing with almost the same problems that I'm dealing with. And I wish I'd known it then because I sort of felt like I was the biggest loser and I wasn't. You're showing 
a lot of humility there, which is uh, another recurring theme of this conversation. Who are your mentors? You've openly said there's a lot that you still don't know, a lot of learning for you to take on. Who's been coaching you, mentoring you um, as you uh, evolve as a CEO? Oh my God, that list is like, I could write a book. The list of people that I learn from on any given day is right from my teenagers at home and the way that they handle their work to our investors, to CEOs that I worked for and worked with in my own career, to other CEOs like me who might be first-time CEOs or have done it before. The list goes on and on. You just have to kind of open up your heart and say, come to work every day and say, okay, this is the stuff that I know, Pat. And there's very few people out there that know this stuff as well as I probably know it only because I've been in those startups. But then there's all of this other stuff around. There's the market in its entirety. That's what's going on. What kind of companies are getting investments? What should compensation plans look like? How are they evolving? What kind of candidates? Where do I get them from? There's the world around that keeps changing. And for that, you just need to be out there. I know people have talked about like, you need to be networking. My sense is, yes, you need to be networking, but you need to be networking, talking to other people like you who are dealing with similar problems and just trying to figure out how are they solving it. And then the biggest sort of piece of it there is understanding that your investors are on your side. They're your board members. And I've seen a lot of CEO relationships with board members being opposing, where there's always been this thing of, oh, they're the board members and they're the investors and they're on the other side. And I've come to learn in my own journey that they're actually on the exact same side as I am. And we're dealing with the exact same problems because till they're on the outside, I'm selling to them. But once they're on the inside, they're my biggest champions and they're going to help me get to success because my success is their success. Just listening to them and and taking their feedback and pushing back where necessary, because I'll tell you, I do a pretty good job of doing that. It's everybody else. You know, my husband works for a large tech company. So learning from his, the way he manages his team, which is 10 times bigger than mine, and learning some of those tricks on the scaling side has been really helpful. Talking to my dad, who's a retired army colonel, and understanding the way that he dealt with certain team problems has been very interesting. Learning comes from everywhere. My sister runs her own firm. You know, the way that she manages her team and her more gentle touch on, on managing is, is another sort of, you could think of that as a, as a mental relationship. There's so much out there that you're like picking up from. The fun thing about it is, I'd have to say, and, and this may date me, but till I got to my 30s, I wasn't listening as much. I was more talking. And when I got to my 30s, even though this conversation not, <laughs> not being a, a judge of it, I'm listening more to people around me because they tend to know, I don't know, maybe people got smarter along the way or maybe I got more grounded. Sounds like you're listening to a real diversity of people, their friends, family, colleagues, your wider network. Your listening skills seem pretty fine-tuned to me. Talking of things or situations that we, we learn from, what's your favorite business or technology book or blog? And why? I don't know if I have a specific technology book. Though I will say recently I've been reading this book called The Outliers. My 13-year-old daughter has been asking me to read it for the last six months. And that's actually given me a lot of perspective on the way the world works. And I think that's currently that's my most favorite book. I don't think I have one favorite book that I read or 
one Bible that I say, well, work-related Bible that I follow, <laughs> not religious, or any blog. I mean, I kind of read everything I can get my hands on. I love reading, right? From mm-hmm. magazines to the Wall Street Journal to any book I can read or, or I get the time on, airlines. I try to not open up my laptop on a plane. I try to read a book instead. And sometimes it's just fiction, fun stuff. Sometimes it's intense stuff. Well, The Outliers is certainly a great book. I've got my son reading that as well to uh, inspire him a little. Talking of uh, inspiration, or actually aspiration, let's switch from inspiration to aspiration. What are your aspirations for web scale in the next three to four years? WebScale is sort of like a journey for us. We're taking in a direction that hasn't been defined. So the end point of what it looks like is not very clear, but what is clear is that there's a massive opportunity in front of us and, and we see it, our investors see it, the team sees it. It's clear. It's there in our customers' eyes when we talk to them, when these large brands sign up with us. We're changing their lives in a pretty significant way. And they're obviously changing ours because they're helping us build a bigger and better company. But the biggest thing we see is that if we can impact with the same technology stack with a young company like ours, if we can impact these large brands that have billions of dollars in revenue and are making this decision to go the direction of digital transformation, go the direction of embracing a hyperscale cloud provider, and go the direction of really automating that entire workflow to make revenue more predictable and committing their businesses to this forward-facing location. By default, WebScale will be successful. And in the next four years, we just have to figure out what that success looks like. Right now, it's sort of focused on getting the right team hired up after our round of financing, getting our growth rate to stay at 100% of no more year over year, building a good company with a stable financial basis and making sure we're focused on the top line, the bottom line. We're doing the right things for our teams. We're building people's careers because... My career was built while I was at these other startups. And I just want to make sure that every person that works at WebScale doesn't just help us make WebScale successful, but in their own journey, they build their careers and go off to to be CEOs of their own companies if that's what they want to do or be technologists or do whatever they want to do. So that for me is, I don't want to sound cliched by saying it, but that for me is the bigger success because I'm a product of that sort of success. So I want to see that for everyone. But I think WebScale, just by virtue of what we're able to do on any given day, is is going to be big. It's just how big is. There's so many other market forces. There's so many other things that will define what that success looks like. It's going to be successful. I'm sure WebScale is with you and the team you're building. I'm sure you're going to have awesome success over the next three to four years and beyond. It's been an absolute pleasure chatting with you today, Sanal. Thank you so much for joining me on today's episode. And thank you also for your excellent listening skills, your humility, and for sharing so many candid insights with our listeners. Of course, Gary. Thank you so much for giving us this opportunity. It's it's always fun to get our message out and, and to talk to people. You're extremely welcome. This episode of the Startup to Scale Up Game Plan was brought to you by Alpina Search. Head over to www.alpinasearch.com for advice on scaling your technology startup and recruiting high-impact senior talent.